You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Oh, we're starting a brand new series called Just Saying the Power of Words, and we're, we're going to be looking at the truth about how impactful, how powerful our words really are. They, they carry the power of life and the power of death. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, through this series, ways to actually use our words more productive, more in a, in a God-honoring way. And next week, uh, we're going to be looking at criticism, how we criticize, and uh, then we're going to be talking about lying and gossiping. Today, we're talking about complaining, complaining. And I, I did a little bit of research. Uh, you know, people who get a lot of complaints are HR departments and customer service departments. So I, I did a little bit of research, and I want to share some of the things that I thought were kind of interesting that uh, these different departments got. First of all, HR got a complaint. I can't stand sitting next to Jan. She isn't a vegetarian, and she literally smells like meat. Okay. So... Jan maybe needs a shower. I'm not positive about that. But then, and another, uh, another one I heard was an employee complained about her coworker because he, and I quote, breathed, breathes too loudly. Okay. You know, if he stops breathing, he may be dead and he'll smell like Jan. But, uh, you know, if, here's the other one. Uh, a customer service at uh, Domino's, they had a story about a guy who ordered a pizza and had it delivered to his house and arrived on time. All that was just like it was promised. But when he opened the pizza box, he was instantly unhappy because it wasn't what he had ordered. In fact, there were no toppings, no cheese, no sauce, just crust. So this disgruntled guy went on to Twitter, which is how we solve all of our problems today. He went on Twitter to complain. This is what he said, and I quote, Yo, I ordered a pizza and it came with no toppings on it, or anything. It's just bread. To which Domino's responded, we're sorry to hear about this. And then they directed him in customer service way, who to contact in order to make things right. To which he then responded, never mind. I opened the pizza upside down. (laughs) Apparently somebody was doing something medically or non-medically that led to the pizza. But it caused him not to be able to know which way to open this thing, uh, apparently. Complain, complain, complain. We complain a lot, don't we? In fact, some of us have had friends of ours say, after we complain, well, that's a first world problem, right? And that's a nice way of pointing out to us, what are you complaining about? Most of the world doesn't have it this good, right? We complain a lot. When I was thinking about complaining, one of the places in Scripture where you find this topic pretty significantly is in the Old Testament with God's chosen people, the Israelites, who were in captivity in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they complained and complained the whole time that they were under bondage. And then God did miracle after miracle after miracle. In fact, he issued 10 different miracles that were in the form of plagues that actually changed the heart of Pharaoh so that he would let 
his, God's people go. And then he parted the Red Sea, and then he drowned Pharaoh's army, and then he fed the people of Israel with bread from heaven and water he gave them out of solid rock, and then their clothes and their shoes never worn out for the entire time that they were wandering in the wilderness. And what did God's people do? They whined and bellyached and complained. In fact, we read about it in Exodus, the 14th chapter. Look at this. It says, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Kind of sounds like you and me at times, doesn't it? Never really quite satisfied. To add insult to injury, though, Moses said something that would probably stun most of us. He said this about their complaining. Exodus 16, verse 8, look what he says. You are not grumbling against us. He's not Moses and the other leaders, but against the Lord. They weren't complaining at Moses. I mean, Moses was the focal point. He was the the head guy, but they weren't complaining. They were complaining against the Lord, Moses said. Let's be honest, folks. You may be taking it out on me, but you're mad at God. You're frustrated with God. Imagine if every time that you and I complained, it's not just about our circumstances. It's not about the traffic. It's not about another person who's frustrating. But what if it, in God's eyes, we were actually complaining about him? Maybe that's the way that he sees it when we complain. Let's personalize this so that as you hear this message, you can run it through the lens of your own complaining. I want you to think about how you complain. How do you respond in these difficult situations? And if it is with complaining, how best you could respond. I want to ask you, what is, what is it that you complain about the most? What is it that you complain about the most? I want you to be honest. If you're taking notes, maybe even write it off to the side there. For me, you probably know this by now, but I complain the most about traffic, okay? If I pick a route to go from here to the other side of town, invariably I pick the most congested route. doesn't matter if I use Google Maps or Waze or whatever the, the uh, app is. I always find wherever the wreck is or wherever the uh, police are, where, you know, I'm always finding them, all right? And if you drive the speed limit in the fast lane, that's the left lane, called the fast lane for a reason, you need to move over because you're aggravating people like me behind you. Okay? And here's the other thing. If you are breaking the law, and I'm not breaking the law, it really is annoying to me. Okay? It really is annoying. And we do this, right? We recognize the frustration that is caused by certain situations. For me, it's traffic. And we complain about it. Some of you would say you complain because you're not married. And then you get married. And what do you do? You complain about your spouse. Right? Some of you, maybe it's you complain about money because things are tight or your house is too small or your boss drives you crazy or the meetings that your boss makes you go to are just stupid and boring. Or maybe it's not something that significant. It's even smaller. We complain about the weather because it's bad. Or why does it always rain on Saturday, right? Or we complain about the Wi-Fi because it's too slow. Ann and I were in a an uh, establishment, let's say, recently, and she leaned to me and goes, the Wi-Fi is always slow here. And I go, 
well, isn't that horrible? <laughs> I said, I'm not using Wi-Fi. I'm just going, to, going rogue. <laughs> she said, well, it is. And I'm going to pay for that later on. But some of us, we look at things and we say, there's nothing on TV or, or Netflix doesn't have any new original content that meets my approval. It's not, it, I want to make sure that we clarify what this is and hope that you'll understand that the problem is significantly more than weather or traffic or that person who breathes loudly or smells like meat. Okay? The problem is we've taken our focus off of the goodness of God and we've placed it on ourselves. And that is the problem that leads to the curse of constant complaining. I want us to look at Philippians, the second chapter. If you have your Bible or you want to turn to your phone or your tablet, Philippians 2, we're going to look at verse, starting with verse 14. But before we get there, the Apostle Paul is the guy who wrote this. He wrote it from a prison cell while he was in Rome. And if there was a guy on the planet who had a reason to be able to complain, it's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he had, he had this top desires. If he had a bucket list, this would have been on his bucket list, that he wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel because Ro- the Roman Empire spread across the world. And he felt that if he could influence those leaders in Rome, he could influence the world. But instead, he gets arrested and he goes to Rome, not as an evangelist, but as a prisoner. And not just any prisoner. He's locked up 24 hours a day. And every eight hours, he's chained to a new member of the Praetorian Guard, the Roman Guard. And he's awaiting possibly his execution. You put me in a place like that, I'm going to be tempted to complain to God. I'm just a level with you. I mean, imagine if you're the Apostle Paul. This isn't fair, God. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I mean, I have served you relentlessly. I've been faithful. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten, left for dead. I have been snake bitten. And I've served you all through all of that. And here I am in a prison cell. Oh, and by the way, God, the floor is hard. That's where I'm sleeping. The food is terrible. And this Roman soldier you have me chained to, his BO is so bad, I'm about ready to hurl. You can imagine... This was not a walk in the park. This certainly wasn't a picnic for Paul. Instead of complaining, though, instead of telling God why he got it all wrong, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church of Philippi. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hold, hold that just for a second there. Some, there's other translations that translate this. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And we don't know what Paul's point is, when he points out that they're complaining, we don't know what they're complaining about. But Paul uses a word here for complaining that gives us a little bit of insight to the word. It's the Greek word that is translated to murmur or mutter or grumble. And you know what I'm talking about? When you really complain, it's through clenched teeth, you know, your lips barely move. You're just muttering to yourself, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and it's not, it's not like anybody can really hear the words, but they can hear some noise. And they think you're part crazy. But you know you're not. You're just mad. You're just frustrated. You're complaining. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says grumbling. That's a good word. Or we would translate it complaining. He goes on. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. 
Paul calls the Philippian Christians to be a light to the nations around them. In order to effectively do this, he urges them to be blameless and pure. But you can't do that when you're complaining. When we complain and argue, it damages our influence to impact this crooked and warped generation. As a result, it causes them to remain in their sin because they're not listening to us. They're not paying attention to us because we're whining all the time. Paul's saying, stop the complaining and arguing for the sake of your witness, for the sake of the opportunity for those around you to hear the gospel. A couple of years ago, it's probably been three or four years ago now, Ann and I went to another city in our great union and uh, visited there while on my study time. Uh, we went there just to worship, we wanted to experience their worship. And we got there 15 minutes early. Uh, we went in and just sat down and we were waiting. And all of a sudden, uh, a couple minutes later, these three people came in and sat behind us. And they started talking. Um, talking, you know how people do sometimes. They, don't, they think they're the only ones there. And so they're talking loudly. And if Ann and I just lean back enough, we can hear what they're saying. I'm kidding. We didn't have to do anything. We could hear them. And they were chatting up about how mad and frustrated they were with some recent changes that had been made in the church. And then they started on the minister there, and they just, all the things they didn't like about him, and he just happens to be one of my really good friends. And so I was taking some notes and took a selfie of us so I could get their picture, and I didn't do any of that. But I <laughs> thought about, I wanted to, you know, share the wisdom, but they, uh, we just sat there and listened and then one, one of the people said that they, were, they only came to church that Sunday because the lead minister wasn't preaching. Someone else was preaching, which kind of disappointed me because I wanted to surprise my friend. But we talked later, Ann and I did. What if we had been a young couple looking for a church to kind of connect with, a place to start? You know, we know we need God in our lives, or at least we're checking this out and I'm not sure we would have come back after that. Or even, even more significant, what if we were two people who were lost and our marriage was in, hanging in the balance and we just said, maybe, let's check out church and just see what, maybe this God thing can help us. And I'm not sure we would have returned to that church after. And it's a great church. It's a great church. All because people were complaining. There are a lot of practical reasons why we should live without complaining. Dr. Travis Bradbury founded a company called Talent Smart, which is the world's leading provider of emotional intelligence, testing, training, and counseling. Excuse me, consulting. He's done a lot of research in this area of complaining. And what he says is that the repeated complaining actually hardwires our brain to do more complaining. It's like you're carving out a channel of complaint that your brain seems to want to just fall right into. He said, he talks about what it means to have this kind of negative mindset. And before long, a person who continues to complain and complain will enter into what they call a confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. In other words, you expect something to be bad. Therefore, when you get there, you just make it bad. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So there's a guy and he says, I hate big churches. I think they're bad. I'm opposed to big churches. And so, 
you know, he doesn't like ministers who wear jeans or worship leaders who used to have ponytails but now have a high and tight fade. They don't like things. That's bad, okay? That's just bad, right? So when he walks into that church building, he has this preconceived notion that all those things are going to, if they're there, it's going to be bad. And he never gives it a chance. He never gives it a chance because he's already determined that it's going to be negative. And what Bradbury says is the more we do that, the more we kind of harden that channel, hardwire in our brain to think that way. Well, this was the problem with the Israelites. They were negative, really negative, when they were in captivity as slaves in Egypt. And we get that. We understand that. But that negativity, when they were set free, actually was their mindset. They were still had this negative mindset that they'd been trained with to just be negative. This is an incredibly dangerous way to live. Don't go through life with preconceived notions to find what's bad when there's already enough bad in the world. You don't have to create it. Wouldn't it be better to train our minds to find the good? Find the good instead of always focusing on the negative? I think it would. I want to ask you a really important question at this juncture in the sermon. How do you keep from complaining? I mean, if complaining is bad, and we all go, okay, we'll admit complaining is not something we should do. How do you keep from complaining? I want to give you two recommendations. The first one is this. Change your circumstances if you can. Change your circumstances if you can. If there's something negative and you can do something about it, then do something about it. If there's something unpleasant or something that isn't right and you can do something about it, do whatever it is you can do. In other words, we don't have to go through life and pretend like things are okay when it's not okay. And it's not a sin to identify or recognize that something is wrong. It cooks down, though, into sin when we complain about it and don't ever do anything about it. Contrast that with Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah from the Old Testament? Nehemiah recognized that the walls in Jerusalem had been destroyed. They'd been broken down. And the people were at, you know, at risk because they were trying to rebuild the city. But you can't rebuild the city if there isn't this security around the city. And so he could easily have said, this is the worst thing ever. The people are in danger Didn't somebody think about this before we started to rebuild the city? There's something that troubles Nehemiah. It was the walls were not there. But he didn't sit and beef and complain about it. What he did was he went to Jerusalem and he organized the people to start rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. If you're bothered by something that gives you a godly discomfort. If there's something that troubles you, don't complain about it. Don't just put comments on social media about it. Instead, do something about it. If there's a negative situation and you can change it, then do your best to change it. Now, I'll take a step further. How do you keep from complaining if you can't change your circumstances? Second suggestion is this change your perspective. If you can do something about it, do something about it. If you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. Change what you can say about it. Change how you think about it. 
Paul continues in Philippians 2, verses 17 and 18. Looks, he, he re, and remember, before we jump to the text, remember what Paul's saying here is he's chained to a Roman soldier as he's writing this, or as he's dictating it. He's facing the possibility of execution. Now, look what he says in verses 17 and 18. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you, sh- you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You may wonder what Paul's talking about when he says being poured out like a drink offering. There's a Greek word. It's the Greek word spendo. It's kind of a fun word to say. And it means I am poured out. That's what it's talking about. And the people were familiar with this term because of some of the functions of the priesthood. You see, a priest would offer a sacrifice on behalf of a person or on behalf of the people. That sacrifice might be a lamb, it might be a bull, it might be another animal, and it would be put on the altar. And then the priest would take this liquid that was valuable and he would pour it on the sacrifice. Now, this liquid would be valuable. Probably most of the time it would be wine. In some rare occasions, maybe something like honey that was really valuable. For us, it might be our morning latte, uh, a frappuccino in the afternoon, or for all of us here in central Kentucky, we would pour an ale eight on the sacrifice, right? Whatever the case was, the first service seemed to identify better with that, but I think they had already had a couple of ale eights. By the end of first, by the beginning of first service, the priest would take the most expensive drink and he would pour it on the burning sacrifice, and then there would be this imagine you know the smoke or the the steam that would rise, and that would go up into heaven as an offering to God. And what Paul is saying is that even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering like that, I'm still going to rejoice. What Paul's doing here is he's choosing his perspective. I'm being poured out like a drink offering refers to Paul's daily life that was a sacrifice. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 12:1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship includes what we've done up here this morning, what what was happening out here today. But it's not just that. It's not just lifting our voices and our hands to a holy God. Worship is offering your life wherever you are, even if you're chained to a Roman soldier. So how could Paul, who was in prison, offer praise and worship to God? Here's how he did it. Here's how he did it. Paul was not the center of his own story. Jesus was the center of Paul's story. This wasn't about Paul. This was about Jesus. And because Jesus was the center of his story, he could take a negative situation and Paul could change his perspective about it in such a way that it would impact what God was able to do through this negative circumstance. This is why Paul wrote earlier in the letter, Philippians 1.12, he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's not complaining. In fact, he recognizes that he changed his perspective. If life hands you lemons, make lemonade. That's what Paul's saying. And he's seen the power of that. He's seen God's goodness in that. 
He's saying, what's happened to me has actually moved the message of Jesus forward. Even though I would never have chosen this route. I wanted to come to Rome as an evangelist, not as a prisoner. But God's working in this moment, even in spite of the difficulties. He goes on in verse 13, Philippians 1.13. As a result, it has been clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He says, all the soldiers know that I'm here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know it. And as a result, everybody in the Roman court knows as well. What he's saying is, you may think that I'm the prisoner here, but you would be wrong. Let me tell you who the real prisoner is. You see, every hour, every eight hours, excuse me, they chain me to another member of the Praetorian Guard. And I see it as a brand new opportunity to make a convert. You know, I'm writing a sermon for each one of them. And I got eight hours to deliver it. Those guys don't even know what hit them. And you think I'm the prisoner here? You got no idea how God is using what others would see as negative to advance the gospel. In other words, this isn't my plan. And there are a lot of reasons why I could complain about this. But because I can't change my circumstances, I'm going to change my perspective I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Paul would write that to the Romans. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the struggle or the hardship or the difficult circumstances that you can't change. I don't know who this is going to speak to. But if you're in a place that you don't like, recognize God still has a plan. And he'll work that plan. God still has a purpose. It may be the last thing that you'd choose to do, but it doesn't mean that God can't use it to move the message of his love forward, even in you at that moment. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. I've said that several times, but I'm wondering, what is it that you are chained to? What's your negative situation? And don't say your husband and, and gentlemen, don't say your wife, please. But maybe it is a toxic or painful relationship. Maybe it's a job situation. You don't know how it's going to work out or what you're going to do. Or it could be you're chained to some financial problems. You found yourself in this huge financial pit and you have no idea how you're going to get out of it. Or maybe it's a physical, you know, medical problem. Maybe it's not you. It's someone who you love deeply. The list goes on and on. Let me just say this to you. If you can do something to change it, change it. Do it. And if you can't do that, there are things you can do. If you can pray, pray. If you can work hard, work hard. If you need counseling, get counseling. If you need wisdom, get wisdom. If you need help, get help. You can do something about it, then do it. Do something. But if you can't, if you can't, change your perspective. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you talk about it. Rather than complaining about something that you can't change, choose to see God's presence and his power right there in the midst. Because if you're there and you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is there. He's right there in the midst. Don't ever forget that. Nobody exemplified this more in the course of my ministry than a lady by the name of Marsha Fuller Williams. Some of you may know her. She was born with a genetic bone disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta, or what is commonly known as brittle bone disease. It's characterized by fragile bones that break easily. 
This disorder affected Marcia her entire life. She had broken over 100 bones over the course of her life. And she jokingly said one day that her husband hugged her so tightly that he broke a rib. That's love, right? But you can tell. Marcia, this one, she was about 13. I met her when she was in the 1980s, and she was singing from that wheelchair. In fact, you can tell she's kind of short. That's a byproduct of this disorder that she has. But you would not notice her disability for very long because Marcia could sing. And I mean, when I say she could sing, she could really sing. Out of this tiny little body of hers came this huge voice. By this point, this was her second album she had made. Some of you probably uh, remember her from the Cardinal Hill Easter telethons. She was on there every year, and she even helped host the telethon on a couple of occasions. I met Marcia, and she was already married to her bass player, Bill, and they eventually had a daughter, Kimberly. She was amazing. One of the things that was most amazing about Marcia was she never complained. I don't, I'm not being emphatic for a sermon illustration. I'm telling you the honest truth. She never complained. And she's one of those people, if you just were around her and you noticed the physical challenges she dealt with, she definitely had plenty of reason to complain, but she didn't because she always saw the good in every single situation. I can't tell you how many times I visited Marcia in the hospital. See, one of the byproducts of this disorder was she would build up fluid or congestion in her lungs. It would be hard to breathe. And there were times when she was near death because of her inability to get oxygen into her system. And yet Marcia could easily have been one of those folks who had a pity party every single day. She didn't. I don't think I ever heard her complain, not once. Let me explain what her perspective was just by reading from the back of this album. She wrote, 13 years of age, this is what she wrote. It's so great to be a Christian and serving such a great God. He's given... He's given so much to me. For most children with my disease lead a quiet life and never have the opportunities that I have have had. At the age of three, he gave me a voice to sing with. And three years later, God inspired me to write two songs. Since then, I've written four other songs and made two recordings. He, He has also blessed me in other ways. He gave me a wonderful mom and dad whom have loved and cared for me so much. As a family, we've had rough times together. Sometimes we didn't know where the next meal was going to come because of hospital bills. But God has always pulled us through. Our house might not be the biggest. Our clothes might not be the finest. But as long as we stay true to Jesus, someday we'll have a mansion that outshines the sun. You know what's fascinating to me about this? Is that Marcia's mom and dad adopted her. And they knew that she had all of these challenges. She truly was a blessed woman. But she was blessed because she chose to recognize the blessing in the midst of what most of us would say is difficult circumstances. I know right now, for some of you in here, there are some things that are going on in your life that are not pleasant. I know you could complain all day long, and most people would say it's justified. But I want to challenge you to take a different tack. You could change the way you look at it. You could say, I can't do anything about this, but I can't choose to look for God in it. 
I can choose the way I speak about it. I can believe that this is the worst thing ever, or I can look for how God might use me in it. I can ask him to do something in me while I'm in the middle of it. I may not be perfect at never complaining. None of us are. But I may be a little more conformed to the image of Christ because of it. I may be a little more dependent on the goodness and the grace of God through it. I may pray a little more passionately because of it. It may draw me into a more intimate relationship with God. And then one day, I may have a little more compassion for someone who's going through something similar. I may wake up a few years from now and recognize I'm able to have a voice into the lives of others because I endured it and God did something special in the middle of it. If you can do something about your circumstances, do it. Change it. But if you can't change the circumstances, at least change your perspective. It may make all the difference in the world and it may help you to cease the complaining that keeps us from being pure and blameless. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning for special grace for those who are facing significant trials. Maybe some in this room it's known about, others are here, and it is completely, completely personal and private. And I pray, God, for your grace and your mercy on them, to strengthen them, to give them the the focus to make it through these challenging. It's easy to complain about things, especially big things. God, we find ourselves complaining even about the little things. God, I pray that we could do something about these kinds of things. And if we could, that we would make the change. And if we can't, give us the power to change our perspective. God, when we're tempted to complain, will you help us to hit the pause button and focus on what's right and what's good about you? And realize that your spirit is right there with us in the midst of it. And help us to remember that Jesus is the center of our story. He's the reason why we exist. And so for whatever reason, we're in the midst of this challenging time that we know we're going we're gonna to move forward through it because of him and on his, in his name. And by your power, your spirit will give us. Jesus is the center because he came to save us from our sins. He's the reason that we celebrate every Sunday. I want to pray, God, for the people who are here who have never put Jesus on their throne of their heart. And and I know it's going to be impossible for them to see all that we've been talking about here and be able to, to set aside complaining and lean into you if they have no concept of what it means to have you in their life. I hope, God, that for that one person or that the 50 people who are here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I hope they'll understand just how much you love them today. I pray if they remember one thing about this morning, they would leave here understanding that the love that you have for them is incomprehensible. They're never going to be able to understand it fully. But Jesus came and died because of that love. And God, it's a good reminder for all of us that even when we find ourselves at a low spot, we're still loved by you. 
maybe sometimes we're in a low spot. We recognize that it's because of our sin. It's trapped us. And there's no, there's no greater example of our need for God than a moment like that. And you, you do pursue us. You don't abandon us. You don't forsake us. You still reach out. You still knock on the door. And all we have to do is answer. If you ask Jesus, he'll forgive you every one of your sins. Some of you find that hard to believe, but that's true. That was the case in my life and the lives of most of the people in this room. I'm grateful for that. I just want you to know if I'm talking to God about you this morning, that you're not alone in this. Not only is God with you, but we're with you. And I would love to talk to you about this at the close of the service. I'll be down here. All you have to do is come down front when we're done. And I'd love to talk to you about what it, what it looks like to just take God up on his word, accept his grace. God, I close this time of prayer just thanking you. I pray that you will move us to do what we need to do. And God, if that means changing our circumstances, so be it. And if that means changing our perspective, then give us the power and strength to do that, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus.